This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at Huntworth Gear. Dot com. They actually just sent me the information, sending off their package to the Patreon winner for this first quarter giveaway. Uh, some of our favorite stuff, the Durham pants and the Shelton hoodie and uh, one of their hats that uh, is like John and I's favorite. I, every time we get a package from them, I'm like, you need to make all your hats fit like that. Um, but this podcast right now is actually one of our Patreons, and oddly enough, as soon as we did this pay, uh, this podcast, I drew for the winners, and and Tom won uh, the arrows, and he's already got those out in Montana. So, pretty slick. This guy is, uh, he was on the podcast before, talking about uh, raising his kids, um, and uh, getting away from social media, and that sort of stuff, and it's kind of come full circle. Um, he's trying to do some stuff, started a podcast. He is, uh, running, uh, llama trips, llama rentals, uh, out in Montana, doing everything he can, uh, to live the dream out there. And that's kind of what we talk about on this podcast. Um, super inspiring. Any, anytime you see somebody, you know, really chasing their dreams and this day and age, we find a way to not do things, um, you know, we instead of saying like, how can I do this? We say, I can't because so, um, really inspiring podcast. I think you guys are really going to love it. Tom's a great guy. Anyone who's met him in person, um, knows that, uh, he's, he, he walks the walk and, and, uh, he does everything that he says and, uh, you'll get it right off the bat. Uh, he's a man's man, but, uh, anyways, uh, some housekeeping stuff, um, some, kind of interesting stuff with the podcast. Um, I'm, you hear us talk about our Bowman's club. 
I'm on the board for our Bowman's Club here in Muskegon, so it's the Muskegon Bowman. Um, and they've got a couple events coming up. First of all, uh, June 3rd, there is a 3D shoot and a swap meet for any kind of hunting gear. Um, they're going to have lunch um, for uh, $10 unlimited shooting um, on the 3D course. There's going to be novelty shoots. If you're a member of the Bowman's Club, um, it'll be $8. Um, but what we talked about at the, the last meeting was if you're a member and you bring a non-member, uh, the non-member shoots for half price. So you guys will split it. It'll basically be the non-member shoots free and then you pay um, yours or you guys can split it however you want to do it. But we're just trying to get some more people like through the doors of the club and get kind of more awareness out about um, what we have here. It's really awesome. We have a, a full field course. We've got uh, a range out to in addition to the field course, we have a range that goes out to like 80 or 90 uh, and depending on where you're standing, how you're shooting it, um, you know, you can get almost out to 100, um, nine lanes inside uh, where you shoot uh, about to 35, uh, bow press, draw board, arrow saw, um, all of that stuff right there in the club, all that facilities um, right here in Muskegon. Um, so check that out. It's uh, Muskegon Bowman muskegonbowman.com um, you can check it out there and then uh, that Monday right after that um, they're starting the outdoor leagues but the one thing is that's interesting is probably one of the last ones from what I'm told there's outdoor broadhead leagues um, so you, you shoot broadheads uh, different ranges um, a lot of trad guys but you can shoot your compound um, and they shoot through cardboard um, so you bring lipstick and you um, put put a color on your on your broadhead um and that's how you mark your shots and uh, i'm gonna try and get out there and do some of that this year but um it's sounds like it's a lot different than just shooting regular 3d so something cool um it's five dollars a night to go out there and do that or it's 45 dollars for the league fee um you know if you if you could make it for every every week but uh it sounds like something fun to do throughout the summer um especially if you're in the area but uh anyways that's just some of the stuff that we've got coming up we're going to be doing some more social media stuff and doing some more stuff to help promote our club but that's just uh one of the like sidebars that that we've got going on here in our area um you know we got to give a shout out to all of our uh, sponsors if you if you're hearing this uh, I didn't mess up the intro this week and um, I, I said well there's a bunch of people um, you know if they go back in and listen to this hear the intro uh, message me and I'll put them in a giveaway to give away one of our new hats we got some uh, Huntworth Tarnan hats with our logo on them and those uh, that winner is Jason Nichols so I'll get that out to you he messaged me on Instagram and and said that he listened to the new uh, intro so congrats to jason and um we got a bunch of cool stuff coming up uh with the podcast i don't want to like give it all away uh but there's you know obviously this year we're doing our patreon hunt we're going to be doing uh our cookout up at tax so definitely uh come up there check us out you don't got to be a patreon you just got to want to have fun and uh you know talk 
archery talk hunting um up to the total archery challenge here in michigan uh gonna be a super good time uh greg litziger's coming in town uh again to shoot with us so uh, really excited to have greg back um we're doing our patreon hunt we're working on with tom now uh bowhunter chronicles west to do some uh, i think a spring bear hunt for next year um and we're gonna kind of parse out those details lots of stuff coming in for the patreons and i can't wait to to kind of share with you some of the fun stuff that i've got coming up but um aside from that um you know we couldn't do this show without the patreons we do everything that we can to give back with our sponsors with um anything that we do we try and incorporate the patreons as best we can so we got to give uh, a huge kudos to you know the companies huntworth latitude lucky buck vitalize seed um zinger fletching and kanadi arrows those arrows um i built them up and uh been shooting them and they shoot tremendous getting ready to rebuild my bow um before i head over to the vortex event next weekend uh over at the vortex headquarters with hha um gonna be a great time um but those arrows are something else definitely check them out kanadi arrows uh, and the guys at zinger big shot targets giving us a code uh, BCP to save 10%. And they have, um, for you guys that are local, you know, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, maybe some of the Ohio guys can make it over there, but they've they, watch on their Instagram. They've got, uh, some like open box, like damage target sales. Like, so targets that are missing an ear that, uh, you know, something didn't go right with a the foot there like clearancing out those uh, but it's in person first come first serve um, so check that out they've got a sale going on um, in person there over these next couple weekends and as always you know spartan forge i've been we're, we are going to um i got uh, a couple guys next week's podcast coming on and we're going to um do a little bit more filming do some uh vlogging and we're going to break down some new pieces of property we're going to go in uh to property that we've never hunted um and kind of document how we're going through there and kind of what the season looks like for us on those properties and uh using spartan forge i mean i pulled it up and again i i, I told my buddy uh eric who's going to be hunting with me over there look at it and look at all the terrain changes and when you take that spartan forge um and you increase those 3d layers um it's just a, an entirely different uh ball game so check them out spartanforge.ai you can use code bowhunter to save 25 percent, and that's probably the cheapest that you're going to find it and their uav layers i mean there is the ai piece that i mean it just gets glossed over because their maps are so good um but all that stuff you know those guys give back to the patrons we give away uh something from each and every one of those every quarter um and you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles podcast be part of the um marco polo group you can be part of you know our patreon hunt that we're doing um all that stuff and it really helps us out but we're building the community and that's what we're really trying to do with that so um thank you guys for listening Thanks for everything. Um, this podcast should certainly inspire you. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody. Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And uh, yeah, John just peeked his head up like, hey, hey, I'm here. Um, <laughs> but I'm just so used to saying, oh, yeah, it's just me. Just me. John's doing this. John's doing that. He uh, was building his house today. Got some rain and 
he decided he'd grace us with our presence for with his presence for his good friend Tom Taylor. And I know I've told Tom this. I know the guys in the in the Patreon, the Marco Polo group, have heard it before. Um, but first of all, Tom's a really big uh, part of that Marco Polo group. Um, as far as like the information um, and insight, and that's kind of why we've got him on here today. But when I was going to Ohio with my buddy Eric, he was up at the uh, the the Patreon camp, and we were kind of just reliving that that camp and that experience. And we were talking about you know the guys that were there, and you know had you met this guy or this guy, and he just looked at me and he said, "Tom Taylor is a man." And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, he, uh, he looks like he rolled out of a log cabin, sleeping on the floor, you know, flannel and work boots, running around with the longbow, helping everybody out. And, uh, I mean, what would you say to that, John? Like if you were to describe Tom Taylor. (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely a man. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) But, Especially now that he's out in Montana, like he went from Michigan to Montana, man. Yeah, and and that's yeah. kind of like what I wanted to wanted to talk about is is kind of like your whole journey out to uh, kind of where you're at now. Um, but uh, how's the weather out there in Montana today? Uh, today it's the sun's just starting to peak out, but it was negative three last night and blowing sideways snow, so. I think it's going to be seven degrees tonight and we got probably a few more days of snow and then it's supposed to, I think, I think it's going to break. So early, early from what I hear, that's early April in Montana. So they usually get a last good snowstorm, but, uh, the East side of the state has got a lot of snow. They got hammered pretty good over there. I know the mule deer, the mule deer and the antelope are struggling over there pretty hard and, some spots over here on the west side too, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long cold one and a pretty brutal one. That the temper temperatures dipped pretty good a couple times this year, so it's been an experience. It'll it'll you talk you guys talk about being a man. This place will let you know pretty quick if you're okay with the cold weather or not because <laughs> it'll whoop it right out of you pretty quick. So let's get into like so I know you were on here before and we talked about like um, you know all the social media, all of uh, that sort of thing as far as like the industry. And I can't remember, and, you know, maybe we've picked up some new listeners since then, but like if we talked about like your upbringing and as far like what made you uh, to be this man uh, that you are and like the the manly man, the manly man, the Paul Bunyan of uh, now the elk woods, right? (laughs) But like your upbringing with, uh, with hunting and everything. Yeah. So I was just, I, at a very early age, I was kind of thrown into it. Um, and, and kind of a really cool way. My dad was, was building, um, longbows, self bows and pretty much my, my whole younger childhood. Um, and he was really heavily involved in the traditional archery side of things. So that really, uh, it, introduced me to a lot of cool people and a lot of cool stuff. And, uh, it kind of fostered that addiction I had for hunting and the outdoors. Um, sorry if you guys hear my dog crying, I got him locked in the bedroom there, but yeah, I had a great childhood. My mom used to come up to our big rabbit camps and she used to, uh, 
cook for all of the guys and we used to set up big wall tent camps for rabbit camp and and uh we we had a a permanent rabbit camp up by stanton michigan that we went to all the guy all the time that a guy pretty much spent 365 days a year managing that property for whitetails and cottontails so that was that was the main thing when snow hit the ground uh, it was cottontail season deer season was over whether it was or not so it was a good upbringing it was a lot of fun a lot of adventures um exposed me to a lot of different stuff exposed me to a lot of just serious killers um yeah these guys were you know, no fuss, get it done. And I think that's probably, um, between that, you know, growing up around guys four times my age and that were, uh, just absolute men, like you say, and, uh, then getting into the electrical trade industry pretty early. Um, that kind of forces you to <laughs> have a spine pretty quick. So you <laughs> up spit out pretty quick now when you guys were hunting rabbits were you guys shooting those with the longbows also or were you just yeah all long all longbows yeah. awesome yeah the only time the only time yeah everybody did um the only time somebody the only time i hunted rabbits with a gun was me and my buddies would hunt them with a the shotgun sometimes and the 22s a lot and the 22s were a lot of fun so we'd run them with the dogs and shoot at them with the 22s just for fun because Eating rabbits is nice. Uh, shooting rabbits is nice, but shooting at them is the most fun. Cleaning them is the least fun. The whole thing, so, especially with a bunch <laughs> of pellets in them. Yeah. So, like you know, I guess John and I are are a little bit different, but it's like the same era, same equipment, same same stuff, right? Like, so when we were kids, it was you know. Uh, loggy bayou or like baker climbers it was aluminum arrows it was all that stuff so with your dad i feel like you're you were raised hunting in a different time i missed out on all that like it, you were like yeah, i'm raised in the missed, 1800s yeah guys <laughs> will talk to me about like oh the old um browning compound and the old um this and that when these new cams came out and i'm like i you know i've been hunting longer than them and i have no clue what they're talking about because it's just always been, it's always been a traditional thing for me. I, I never even shot a compound until I was an adult, well into my thirties. So, and yeah, I just, I skipped all that. <laughs> None of the guys I hung around with shot compounds. It just, I didn't know a darn thing about any of that world. And you, uh, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but and kind of elaborate on it, but didn't, wasn't it part of your deer season? Like, a teepee down the river type yeah, scenario. We, we mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We say it like that. sounds weird. <laughs> teepee down the river. <laughs> that was our second home. Um, no, <laughs> my dad. So my parents were really big into, uh, reenactments like pre 19 or pre 1840 reenactments, I guess. Fur trade era is what it was. Um, French fur traders. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of my childhood running around buckskins. My dad built a teepee, bought the canvas, built the poles. And of course my dad couldn't ever do anything halfway. It was always over the top, you know? So he, uh, instead of just having poles that 
were tall enough to hold the teepee up. He had to have them sticking up out of the air 10, 12 foot past the teepee just, just for show. And then he'd hang, you know, hides on them or whatever. And that's what we would take, you know, before that we were usually using like the army green, big wall tents. And then he had another nice canvas wall tent, I think. And then, uh, or it was a wedge tent is what it was. Cause the wedge tent was period correct for, for that time frame. Um, and then he got a teepee and, uh, yeah, that thing went with us a handful of times <laughs> down the river. And usually every year we'd take a float trip, you know, with, with our buddies and we would try to kill deer from the canoe and we shot a couple that way, but it wasn't super successful. A lot of action right in the middle of the rut. Um, but floating that 30 foot, those 30 foot poles in and all that canvas in that canoe. And my dad's 300 plus pound guy, six, six, I'm six, three. And I was two thirty when I graduated high school. So there's a lot of weight in that 18 foot grumman. So <laughs> we were barely, <laughs> I would barely be able to paddle out over the poles. He built this rack on the canoe that holds all the poles on each side. And I could just, I was just teaspooning it out there. I couldn't even really pull any water. So he, he, I'd try to paddle a handful of times and he'd get sick of watching me mess stuff up. And he'd say, just hang on to your bow and wait for deer. I'll paddle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine like the looks that people would, give you or whatever come down the river because oh. i think about like our river system where there's boats and trappers and freaking you know guys there's, there's more boats out during like hunting season than you can imagine and it's a lot of guys running trap lines and stuff like that but i mean if you come around the bed and there's a fucking teepee 30 foot teepee and a fire going in i mean <laughs> guys and guys and bucks getting like did i just go through a portal well, or something <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> we did have a couple situations like that but you got to remember back then guys weren't canoeing into places like that in archery season. That was not a common thing. So you didn't hardly see anybody there unless you saw a duck hunter or something. Um, but we did. So one of our, one of my dad's buddies, um, Rod, he, he would, he had a tendency to wear his buckskins and, you know, his period correct clothing, you know, <clears throat> When he was, uh, so it was fur trader area. It was usually like guys were wearing buckskin pants that they traded with Indians. And, and then they had like the cotton, um, button up shirts. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> they'd have like fur hats and stuff like that. Well, here comes Rod in his own canoe down. And I think, I can't remember if I was by myself or if I was with my dad, but I, I, we were going to meet him and it was dark. He was coming in super late that night. We had already went in and set up camp. And Rod, just being Rod, thought it'd be funny to wear his buckskins and his fur hat on the way in. We had passed a guy coming out, and uh, it's dark, and you can't see who is in the canoe, you know. So they're they're passing each other, and the river's not super wide right there, and they're passing each other pretty close, um, pretty close together. And Rod just looks over at him. The guy gets a little closer and he, he finally notices like, what is this guy wearing? You know, <laughs> Rod says, bonjour. <laughs> the guy just didn't say anything. He just looked back straight and kept paddling. Because <laughs> Rod said he scared the crap out of him. You know, he's like, what did I just run into? <laughs> so. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of food plot seed mixes out there? Well, you are not alone. And Vitalized Seed has developed a seed program that takes the guesswork out of food plotting. 
Vitalize Seed has two core mixes, the Nitro Boost and Carbon Load, to keep it simple. Nitro Boost is their spring-summer food plot mix, and Carbon Load is the fall plot mix, each having a diverse mix of over a dozen different seed types that are highly attractive to whitetail. Food plotting made simple, but it gets even better. Each mix provides necessary nutrients to the soil, making for better plots each season and saving you money by needing less Roundup and less fertilizer each season. The 1-2 system simplifies your food plots just how nature intended. Vitalize Seed. Make biology work for you. Order now at VitalizeSeed.com. Oh my gosh. Getting the hell out of there quick. Like, what the hell? Yeah, who in the hell is living back here? What is going on? And I remember one of the stories you told me too was like you were in some parade and you didn't get to walk with the football team. Like, I think Tom told me he's like, yeah, girls did not like me in school. (laughs) No, it wasn't the move. It wasn't the move. That was not the move. If you wanted to get girls, that was not the move. <laughs> but the every year there was the Frontier Days parade there in town. Um, that's what it was called. It was it was, you know, the four H fair was going at the county fair and and uh they had a parade and it was always it was the typical parade, you know, people that had the horses down there, the buggies and the um you know, the, the rodeo team and the blah, 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 the football team, the local football team walked in. Well, I played football that year and my family was, it, it was the same time the reenactment was going on downtown. Um, so my family had the whole reenactment set up and my dad, of course, my dad being my dad can't just, he's got to overdo everything. He made a, a hat out of a full size, like five foot black bear. So I'm in eighth grade and instead of walking with my football team, I'm walking with my, the whole encampment crew and I've got this five foot long black bear. It's the black bear head, you know, and then it, it's the whole hide that goes down to your calves, you know, and here I am walking in the parade like that. And I remember just, I just had my head down. Cause I was like, if I just keep my head down, nobody will see who I am, who I am you know, that didn't work. everybody knew who I was. There's Tom the bear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, Next week at school, I was like, what was going on with that? And I'm like, I just don't feel like explaining it. You know, it's like, wait, you guys don't do that? <laughs> you guys don't put hides on and walk around? <laughs> you think that's weird? You should see Rod. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until you meet this guy. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I, I grew up with a lot of guys that um, were characters, and they were, they were uh, a lot of knowledge and a lot of kills under their belt and, with stick bows. And... uh I unfortunately did not learn as much as I should have from all those guys that didn't rub off like I should have. Talk about that a little bit, you know, with those guys and their bows and the, I mean, their, some of their tutelage was like, you just shoot it like this. Right. I mean, you, Oh yeah. It was complete force. Yeah. Yeah. That's how those guys operated. It was just pull the thing back, put the arrow where you want it, you know? And, uh, I, of course I, I was always shooting adult bows. My dad never made a, a light poundage bow and uh great Northern bows. I was always shooting their bows and I was just shooting my dad's hand-me-downs and between Jim Reynolds with, um, his Ram horns that he made and then great Northern, we were buddies with all of them. And I, I, that's what I grew up shooting was all their blemishes and their old bows that my dad 
shot that had bought and shot from them. And then my dad's stick bows that he built, um, which were just mules. And that's what I shot. So I just created <laughs> this habit of, I could only pull so much poundage at that age. So I would just pull it back as far as I could, which was always shorter than my draw length. Cause I was a tall lanky kid, you know? And, uh, you know, on my draw length, it'd be 73, 75, 80 pounds sometimes. And I can't draw that as a kid. That That's what my dad was drawing. He was drawing 75 plus pounds all the time. And that's what these guys were shooting. And it was just a different breed of guys. They just, you know, I, I created this super bad short draw habit and they would just, they had zero tolerance for it. It was like, just pull the thing back, you know, all the way, hold it. And then hit what you're looking at. And that was the most, the, the most detailed uh, advice you got on it out of any of them was, um, you know, just pick us, pick, you know, aim small, miss small. That was it. That was the most detailed advice you got it from many of them was just aim small, miss small. If you don't hit it, you're not looking hard enough. You know, that was always the, <laughs> That I got. And didn't you say like a hundred pound bows, 90 pound bows weren't like that strange for you guys? No, that that's, that's pushing it. Yeah. My dad had 80 pound bows were kind of the max that anybody was shooting that era. But in that era, a lot of guys were shooting 70 plus pound bows. Um, he's just tougher generation of guys, you know, but I think that's some of it. And some of it was, um, they just never got to full draw. That was also some of it too. But, you know, a lot of guys, they'd tell you, yeah, I'm shooting 75 pounds and you'd watch them, sh- watch them shoot. And you're like, no, you're not. Cause they're, they're never actually getting to their draw length. You know, I got a 30 inch draw length. Mm, you're not getting there, <laughs> you know? And you said somebody, that's what it was. Somebody made like a hundred pound bow or something. And it was like, if you can pull yeah. it back, you can win it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were at the, one of the great lakes longbow in, invitationals. My dad was the president for a couple years there of the, uh, long, Michigan Longbow Association is what it was. And they would have the Great Lakes Longbow Invitational every year. It was just a big expo um, for traditional archery. And there was a boyer there that had built, uh, excuse me, there was a boyer there that had built, uh, he was advertising it too. It was like on a stand and it was like, if you can pull this 100-pound longbow back, it was like 100 pounds is rated, most traditional bows are rated at 28 inches. So, you know, everybody would say it's 45 pounds at, a, at 28 inches. It's 50 pounds at 28 inches. That's just kind of the standard way they rate them, you know, so it's kind of a universal rating. Um, obviously, if you pull, if you draw longer than that, you're going to gain more weight than that with a traditional bow. But so this guy had it, you know, it was a hundred pound bow at 28 inches. If you can, if you can pull it back, it's yours. And, you know, all day it you'd see guys over there trying to pull it back, trying to pull it back, trying to pull it back. And there wasn't only but a few guys that did it. And I remember my dad went over there and he he was walking by and he looks at it and he picks it up and he pulls it back without asking or making a show about it or nothing. He just picked it up, pulled it back, and then set it back on the rack. And the guy behind the booth kind of looked at him like, well, you did it. That's yours, you know. And my dad just turned around and looks at me like, what am I going to do with a 100-pound bow? <laughs> you know, <laughs> just put back on the rack and walked away. And you could see the guy that built the bow was like, shit, <laughs> I don't know, you know. <laughs> and so you had said and and, you know when i went out to to colorado there uh where frank's hunting now 
you went hunted that same area and showed me some some points and stuff. So, what was your first like experience going out west? Like, how old were you, and 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 how many times have you been out there? Um, I went out twice when I was younger. Uh, we went to Colorado in the same same spot. Yeah, we went to the same spot both times. Um, did you end up? Did you guys end up going? Did you drop into that valley or not? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, oh, did you? There was there was either an elk coming down um, right there the one evening, and I <laughs> I freaking missed a like a grouse like five times right there. Mm-hmm. Um, just this arrow's probably laying in with a pile of mine up there. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, something something lit up out of there, and we hunted um, on the other side of that valley back towards like the main trail um not towards the private but back into the public further um there was that pond that yep and uh that reservoir up there yeah that's where we had them uh those moose come in and uh had a spike elk come in and then one guy was out there hunting moose and he said there were um there were cows up above us and i think that that day when we first walked into that valley when i missed those grouse when something lit up out of there it was either a bear or a or an elk it was a big brown flash yeah, a lot of bear uh, a lot of bear in there there used to be i don't know if there still is or not there and then uh um we like the next morning or whatever which was the opener of muzzler season which was all messed up we heard deer or we heard elk bugling over on the private and in, in in between there and we actually um the year after that the guy I was hunting with killed the five by five right there on the other side um of that between the private and then between that valley but yeah yeah <clears throat> well cool so they're in there still then mm-hmm. good yeah that that place down there is pretty cool because it's just like all super thick oak brush and you can't walk through half of it and oh the dude do they that, allow the the dude that i was with because the 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 hunting that John and I did was like it doesn't matter like the elk are going to be over there so we're going there and this guy had hunted this place right. before and he's like well these this is where they are and all the stuff and I'm like you know I've never been here but I know that John and I looked at a map and we found elk eventually so I'm like why well, there got to be over here and there were elk there but we walked through all that oak brush and he was so pissed and it was miserable it was it was awful it was so awful but when well, there's that oak brush go ahead i want to say when we got out of the oak brush though it came into this big giant draw and it just smelled like elk i mean it was where they were bedding and then as we trickled down there there was t- uh two different wallows um and that's where he ended up killing one the next year and we had one right around the corner from us like we had heard uh a bugle and then something and then we kind of moved around and there was like you know fresh piss right on the ground right there where we heard the bugling and the thrashing and all the stuff and it was like we just we were just off or we just messed up you know but they were still there but it was because of all that oh man it was so freaking miserable yeah they (laughs) they hold up in there and that's why they're in there it's because they just there's so much cover and you watch them walk through that stuff and you're like, how are they getting through that stuff so easily? They just, when you watch them on the next draw over or something and they just work up the, up to the top of the ridge and then they're over the top of the ridge and you get over there in that same spot they were and the stuff's over your head 
or it's up to your chest and you're like, how are they getting through this? They just step through it. They go through it. It's, it's wild. And not only that, but there's that, that yellow leafed brush, which I don't know what it's called. We always called it yellow shit. Cause it was just miserable to walk through. Cause the, the stems of it and everything are just, they're just, they hang on to everything. Just shred your shirt coming out the other side, man. Was that stuff miserable? miserable so when you went out there like how old were you like hunting out west and going on these adventures with your dad and his buddies so i was 14 the first time i went to colorado elk hunting and uh i shot a mule deer that year with with my recurve um and we got we got beat up on the elk side of things pretty good we we had uh I think we just went too early. It was super hot and they weren't talking, but at night. And then when they would talk, I remember, uh, my dad and I would, we'd put the miles on pretty good. And we had one situation where we should have went, my dad wanted to go. And I was just dumb, young 14. And I'm like, dad, I can't go any farther. You know, I should have committed and went, I, that was a big learning lesson for me. Um, cause after I came home from that trip, uh, it, it dawned on me on like the drive home. I'm like, I, we could have killed an elk. That would have been a pivotal point in the hunt. Um, so yeah, great learning lesson for a young kid trying to hunt, just going out there and getting your ass kicked the whole time and, and really seeing, uh, kind of, um, a, a different side of, of hunting from the whitetail hunting that you're doing back home. It's like, okay, this is fun. You know, there's a lot more out there that I, I don't know about. And there's, there's so many ways to skin that hunting cat, you know, that it's just, that was, that was really cool. The second year I went out, I was 16 when we went to Colorado and, uh, we had one or two guys in camp kill bulls that year. And so we spent a couple of days helping them pack bulls out. And so that was, that was fun. We had a good time that time. I missed a cow elk at like nine yards, um, hit a branch, send it over its back and, uh, didn't even go look for the arrow. The arrow just sailed off the, we were on a pretty steep side of a ridge where we were at. And my arrow just sailed forever. I'm like, Oh, that's over with. <laughs> I, kept, I was actually going up to help the guys. So that day, so that, 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 uh, that bowl that you guys were hunting in that basin's long. It's like what? Nine miles long or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's really long. Well, we were, we were uh, it might even be longer than that. It might be like 13 miles long or something. But we, we were camped pretty much in the middle towards the top. And we had parked down in the bottom instead of at the top that year, which was a mistake because we ended up walking in past uh, where we were going to camp. And we, we were closer to the top where we parked the year before than we were to the bottom where we parked this year. But either way, I forgot my beef jerk or I forgot my venison jerky that my mom made for me. And I had like a gallon Ziploc bag of it. It was like part of my meals, you know, that's what I was going to eat all day long while we were out hunting. And I, <laughs> so that morning I got up and I told my dad, excuse me. I told my dad, it was really early that morning. And I told my dad, I said, I'm going to go down to the truck and get my jerky. And he's like, you go all the way to your truck for the jerky. I'm like, yes okay kind of like okay type of thing <laughs> he goes well i'm gonna go hunting i said okay i'll meet you back here tonight okay so i it was like a five mile hike down to the truck and then turn around come back up and i i hunted my way down and then i i ran from a a really bad lightning storm all the way back up 
and it was just brutal. It was 10 miles and it's that country's not a joke. You know, it's, it's fairly steep and that's pretty good elevation loss and gain down there and back up. Well, I get back up to camp back into, I'm getting close to camp and, uh, our camp of course is way up off the main trail. So you got a bushwhack up, you know, and I get close to camp, my radio beeps. And I'm like, yeah. And my dad says, Hey, you know, Monty shot a bull run up to camp. And back then you had those old steel frame, everybody had old steel frame packs. So you didn't hunt with them. You had your frame packs and then you had like a little day pack that you carried with you during the day. And he said, Hey, run up to camp, grab everybody's packs and then come up the trail another mile or two. And I'm like, okay, I just walked 10 miles. I got to go to camp, get everybody's pack. And camp was like a mile off, off the main trail. So I go up, I grab, grab packs. I go back up the trail and the directions I got were you're going to cross this Creek, you know, X Creek. And then you're going to go about 200 yards. And then you're going to see a cow patty on a rock and you're going to turn right and go straight up the hill. And I'm like, there are cow patties everywhere in that country. There, it's all free range country, and it's all rocks. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I go a couple hundred yards past this river, and it's just cow patty on a rock, cow patty on a rock, cow patty on a rock. Cow patty. I don't, I can't see the cow patty on the rock. And so I finally radio my dad back, and I'm like, "Hey, where are you guys?" He goes, "Well, listen for the bugle." So I just barely faintly hear his bugle, and it is up through the thickest, nastiest shit. That's why I killed an elk up there. So I'm bushwhacking my way up to him. And I've got, you know, two pack, two frame packs strapped to my frame packs trying to go through that oak brush. <laughs> and it, I mean, <laughs> it's another three quarters of the mile up off the trail. I'm cussing out loud by myself the whole way, just like a bulldozer through that oak brush. I, you know, not trying to be quiet at all. And I actually had inadvertently called a bunch of a bunch of cows into me making all that racket going up through there. And, uh, I remember stopping sweating and I, I had said out loud to myself, this is a mistake, you know, cause I was just beat up pretty bad. And I just shook my head. I was like, this is a mistake. There's gotta be, you know, I was thinking in my head, there's gotta be an easier way. The, the way I'm going, the straight A to B is not, <laughs> this is a mistake. And I no more said, this is a mistake. And I hear a stick break behind me and she's, she's nine yards from me and a big cow. And she's got a calf with her yearling with her. And I'm like, okay. So I, she's looking right at me. I knock an arrow. She lets me shoot and I sail it right over her back. I hit a branch, sail it right over her back. And I mean, I know more than let that arrow go, watch the arrow go over her back. And I just turned around and just kept heading up. The, <laughs> I didn't even like, <laughs> didn't even set in what had happened. I was just like, yep, yep. Okay. We're going to keep going. <laughs> you know, I'm like this day sucked. <laughs> so, yeah, and then we packed meat for the next day. And so, so like, when did you, did you go back out west? Because that, that, you know, so we we met Tom and Sarah. Like, we had just started the podcast. We are up at the Total Archer Challenge. We did that stupid, well, it was stupid for us. You guys probably really enjoyed it. It's probably the, the 6 a.m. hike. Yeah. Well, yeah. we drank until 4 a.m. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah, we didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And so we we literally laid down for like 45 minutes and got up and then hiked up the hill and John's like, is it time already? And I'm like, yeah, we got to go. So we went and, and did it. And then at the end, we ended up talking to you guys about going out West as we were going to. So that was 2018. Yeah. So we were going to, to Idaho and you guys were going 
think you're going to Montana. Um, we had just went once to Colorado. Okay. And then, uh, and then that was the next summer we talked. So we'd had one trip under our belt. Okay. And was that the next time that you had gone back out West? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was the next time. So I, I, I had done one moose trip with my dad after that Colorado hunt up in Ontario. Um, and then it was pretty much just local stuff we were doing. Yeah. I don't think I, we didn't have any other Western trips after that. My dad went a few times. He went to Alaska a couple of times and then he kind of really got big into antelope hunting in Wyoming. But at that point I started, um, you know, I started my career when I was 18 and I was working just every bit of overtime I could get my hands on for the next 20 years, you know? So a lot of that went to the wayside. And when, when I turned 18, my dad looked, he's like, I'm not paying for you anymore. You're not a youth anymore. You're paying for your own way. I said, okay. So that kind of, I got one more moose hunt in that was a couple grand for me and two weeks off work, which was hard when you're trying to buy a house and move out on your own, you know, that, so that put pretty much all of my Western big expensive trips on hold until my wife got back into archery. Um, she, she kind of got addicted to archery a little bit there when we were just shooting in the backyard. And then she had a couple seasons under her belt, whitetail seasons in Michigan. And, uh, we were trying to plan what would it have been 10 year anniversary or whatever. We were trying to, we were trying to plan an anniversary trip and she, she said, I want to go out West hunting for, you know, cause I, I had always talked about how I wanted to go back out West hunting one day and, you know, and it was like, <clears throat> she's kind of like that driving force. Um, she's always kind of been that driving force behind me. Like, what are you waiting for? You know, type thing. And it's always like, I don't know what I'm waiting for. Why, why am I waiting? Why aren't we going? You know? So she, she had made the comment of, I want to go out West antelope hunting for our anniversary. And she's like, I want to see the mountains. I want to do this. And she was describing what she wanted to do for the hunt. And I, I'd said, uh, well, that's, that's not an antelope hunt. Antelope <laughs> hunt are hot, dry, <laughs> you know, sagebrush, rattlesnakes, wind. And I started explaining an antelope hunt to her. And she goes, yeah, I don't want to do that. What, what can we do? I'm like, well, we can go elk hunting. She's like, yeah, let's do that. And I said, okay. So that just started. And then we, we kind of committed to ourselves that we were going to go every year on our own public land, just to get our feet wet. Like we had no interest in buying a, uh, nothing against it, but we had zero interest in going on a guided hunt. Um, it was, we wanted to go struggle and we wanted to like learn how to kill, find elk and kill one on our own. Like that was, that's been our mission ever since. So that was, and we, we made a commitment to go every single year. We were going to set the time and the money aside to just make a trip every single year. I, w- I want to sidebar that a second when he says, well, yeah, you know, I went on a moose hunt, or a couple of moose hunts in between there. Like, so that seems in and of itself, like pretty impressive, right? Like, so, oh yeah, we were hunting moose, you know, and doing all the things. But then if you like walk it back just a hair, like you're doing that with like long bows and shit, like, you know, like, uh, so maybe is that why like nothing seems like that big of a deal to you? <laughs> like, cause it's just, that's how you've always done things. I think why it, it, it may come off that way is because when you shoot 
traditional, when you commit to a traditional gear and you commit to hunting something, um, you know, when you commit to stacking the odds against you, not only are you working with traditional gear, but now you're hunting on public land on your own. You're not, none of these are guided hunts. Um, my dad instilled that from me. It was always about the road you take to get there. It was never about the end, the ending. And, uh, you get real used to not killing shit. Like (laughs) it's not going to happen very often. So you kind of just, you know, you get real used to, yeah, I went on a moose hunt. It was fun. It was a good time. And no, I didn't kill nothing. You know, that's the story of my life, you know, watching. Yeah. And I had tons of opportunity. Like there was, there was not tons. There was one day I had that I was covered up in moose. About got run over by one. And, uh, it just, you know how it is. I mean, you've been trying to stick a deer with one of them things this last couple seasons. It's just hard to get drawn on one of those. You know, it's hard to get drawn on an animal. It's hard for all the pieces to fall in place it just is you don't really realize it until you commit to it um and you and you try to do it you know that's i think that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of traditional bow hunters hunt hogs in texas it's because it's like the it's like the one variable they can control like we know the hogs are going to come to the feeder i'm going to get practice because it's hard (laughs) to get practice you know it is just is so on that, like from that like sidebar, you know, you get into like the traditional hunting, and then like you, so throw in a guy like like me, who I I love shooting it, and it isn't for anything else, but like just a challenge to see like if I can do it right. But I think that where I guess where do you feel? How do you feel like about there? A lot of these guys are like, all right, well, I'm going trad now, like. Like, like, cause there was a minute there where it was like the cool thing to do, you know? Yeah. It's always been the cool thing to do. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> it's fun. It's hard. It's a challenge. Most, most bow hunters, um, most guys that commit to bow hunting in general, um, they're, they're usually the type of guy that likes to, uh, challenge yourself in a way you know somewhere or another there's there's some guys out there that strictly bow hunt because it's bow season and they just want another season to get out there and then there's there's guys that just absolutely love the challenge they love the tinker they love the you know the discipline of it it's it's all those things and i think usually um those guys tend to find ways to make things harder for themselves, whether they know it or not. Um, and then sometimes, you know, that, that turns into a guy dipping his toe into the traditional world, but it's, it's it, what I would say to those guys. Um, and this is coming from experience because I was raised around guys that you didn't pick up a compound. Like you were, you know, you were given up if you picked up a compound, <laughs> like you didn't do that. That was a no, no. And, uh, it took me until my adult years where I realized I was like, you know, I am, I'm not, I'm working all this overtime all the time. I don't have a ton of time on my hands. I, I don't have time to build arrows. I don't have time to fling, you know, cause to be proficient with a long bow, you got to shoot a lot of arrows. And I just didn't have that kind of daylight in my life. You know, it was dark to dark every day. I was never seeing my house in the daylight. And, uh, 
your form and on top of that i had bad habits so my form really went to crap and it, it was like such a hurdle to get over to go buy a compound it, for ridiculous reasons it was all ego it was all in my head like uh, you know am i giving up something you know it was like i shoot my compound all the time this year and i intend on killing stuff with it this year i don't i don't care what anybody thinks anymore i'll shoot whatever i want and everybody else can piss off they got an issue with it. so that's what i would say to guys is if if you want to dip your toes into the traditional archery world buy something cheap because you're not going to figure it out right away. You're never going to get the bow that you actually want for life. Um, if you're going to start out, find something cheap, find something used, get cheap arrows because you're going to break them and lose them, and just go have fun because it's you can shoot 50 arrows in your backyard with your compound and you're like, okay, I'm good, dialed in. You know, it's like the same thing over and over. You really got to stretch your yardage out to start to challenge yourself or do funny things to start to challenge yourself or hop in like a like you got going on the your patreons there they've got the one shot challenge i think you guys are calling it where and it's it's like these little ways to challenge yourself to make it more interesting to make it more fun and with traditional archery you don't need none of that you just need a target and a bow (laughs) and you're gonna have a good time because you're never gonna hit what you're looking at like it's you know it takes a lot of arrows a lot of arrows to get proficient with it yeah yeah, i'd say just do it and you don't have to commit to it it's you know, I I got John can tell you like there's two traditional bows sitting on the pool table right now. I said you want to shoot shoot a couple arrows before he talked to Tom about like, traditional yeah. stuff. I'll, I'll probably put one through the block or into the block, not through it. But <laughs> it's like, but I mean that's what I started. I mean, obviously I was I don't even remember you know five or six when I got my first bow, and it was like the little red fiberglass bear or whatever. He'll shoot your eye out. Yeah, and I almost did like shot i remember my dad's like only shoot the bales because we had bales set up out back and of course my dad's gone and i'm out in the backyard and i had this rubber football it wasn't even like it didn't even have air in it like it was just this hard rubber football i'm like and i shot it and the arrow hit and came straight back and the knock went right in the top of my eyelid and i had it looked like a little freaking like bat bite like in my and my mom like opens the door and screams like oh my god you know? <laughs> like dad don't tell dad but <laughs> it's like christmas story all over. exactly i was like they got that for me it was like well, that was before way before christmas story that is so like that those memories you have of just being out there flinging arrows with yeah. no care in the world that is still how it is it it really is, isn't it, Adam? Oh, yeah. Well, you you were up at the Patreon hunt where you oh. know we we're all like, oh, look at this thing, and I'm, like it goes Eric Redder. You know, he takes Frank's salmon and shoots one into the tree, like or a stump, like ten feet behind it, and he's yeah. like, oh my god, that was so fun. Like it doesn't matter that you didn't yeah. even come close no, to like cool. why you were hitting. You know, like when I I've, I've got a um, what was the one you left what left from with me for a while? that Martin Jaguar? Yeah, I got that thing for Christmas, fifty pound Martin Jaguar. Right, so it's a, I don't know what they call them. Like, it's got a takedown limb. Well, but it's a, it's a compound riser that they put like ILF limbs on or whatever that bow. Yeah. Because that bow was a a compound. It's like what they're doing with the leftover risers or whatever. Well, I got that bow for Christmas, fifty pound comp or uh, recurve, and I'm like, oh yeah, it'll be, you know, fifty pounds. Like I shoot seventy pounds. Like 
pull that sucker back. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I, I'm in the suburbs, you know. I, mean, I got this little tiny fence backyard. You know, the podcast I did last night with Big Shot Targets, I'm like, yeah, we used to just take, you know, cardboard boxes, put some more cardboard in. It's Christmas time, so I just put that out in our backyard. I shoot, it goes through the cardboard, through the fence, and it just stopped, you know, it was in the neighbor's yard. And I'm like, oh, this isn't like what I was shooting when I was a kid, you know. But yeah. you think I stopped? Like, of course not. He's like, well, maybe I set it by my shed or something like that. Like, put it on the wood pile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's yeah. something, you know, you shoot into something. You know, you just pull it out. It doesn't bury in like a compound does. Like it's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not usually. Yeah, <laughs> not unless you're shooting like seventy-five. I, I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. My dad used to. We used to go to shoots, and my dad, um, he would hit. You know, there'd be the set. You know, it's just like total archery challenge or any of these other shoots. They always set the targets out behind the trees, and by the time you go through the course, the trees just shoot in half from arrows hitting it. You know. And there'd be tips stuck in or people's arrows stuck in that to just leave or whatever. And traditional shoots are notorious for these guys love putting shit in your way. <laughs> it's just fun, you know? And, and it's always like a chuckle. Ha ha ha. The guys that are setting up the course are like, watch this, you know, guys are going to break arrows on this one. You know, it's always, it's just part of the fun. And my dad <laughs> would shoot some of those targets and there'd be like, you know, three inch, two and a half inch, you know, saplings in front of my dad would hit those things and just walk and just split those trees right in half and blow right through them, blow the fletching off his arrows. And, uh, guys, every time guys would be standing there and he'd hit one of those things, pow, it was always like, guys were like, geez, oh, peace, what are you shooting? You know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> 700 grain arrows too, you know, so hundred, you know, whatever it was, 180, 200 grain Tips on his heads. I don't worry about them saplings. I shoot through them and the deer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. That cow elk he shot, he shot, he had a longbow that he made. It was, it was the heaviest one he made. It was like 82 or 80, just over 80 pounds at his draw length. And it was made out of ironwood. And he called it the mule. Like that was what he actually named. He would name his bows usually. And that one was named the mule because it just kicked like a mule. I don't know if you guys have shot self bows at all. Um, or if you've only ever shot like the laminated bows, but self bows are notorious for hand shock. Um, that you're just hanging on to a one piece of wood, a full grain piece of wood. And, uh, they're notorious for hand shock. Well, an 80 pound one made out of ironwood is it kicks your hand like a mule. You know, when you let go of that bow, it's wham, you know, <laughs> it's just a lot of shock. And that cow he shot out in Colorado, um, he blew th right through that thing and threw like a three inch thick sapling with his broadhead passed completely through that. And his arrow was like 20 yards past the sapling, 40 yards past the elk. It was pretty wild. It was, I think he cut the sapling. Ah, I might be lying about that. I could have swore he cut that sapling and brought it home as a souvenir, but I, yeah, that may not be the case. I did that with, uh, not anything like that but i was i was hunting up at our property in the up i was up on this ridge these does came through the bottom and i shot and i freaking shot and like center punched a, a sapling like that and it went all the way down and like the leaves hit the deer and it came back <laughs> up there and my arrow was 10 feet up in a tree because i was up on the ridge and it was down below and I cut it down with the arrow still in it, and I brought it back. And to get your arrow back. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. but just to prove that that's what happened, you know. 
Like, cause you know, yeah. you know, look what I shot. You go back, yeah. like, well, how'd it go? Why'd you miss? Or you know, you know, You're what? I believe this. <laughs> yeah, I'm like so. This is what happened, like for real. Um, yeah. But, well, yeah. So, so now you're you're out in Montana, and you've got you know a teenage boy and a little girl and a, and a family. So, how do you just? uproot your family and say like yeah we're gonna move to the you you have this big palatial estate here in michigan and now you're like okay we're gonna move to montana and uh you know freeze our ass (laughs) yeah live in this little box yeah sell our nice beautiful home in michigan with a bunch of deer running around on it and buy a shoebox in montana for three times the price Yeah, you um number one, you just can't think about it. You gotta do it quick. If you're not real sure about it, just do it fast. So that's the first thing you gotta do. <laughs> so <laughs> uh dude, we've been my wife and I, ever since she made the decision to come out west um hunting with me that first time back in twenty seventeen, um, she just fell in love with the mountains. Um, and I kind of told her, I'm like, I told you this was gonna happen, you know. And every single year from then on, it was like it, every time we thought about, or we'd look at home prices out West somewhere and we would think about it, we would just put ourselves through the ringer. It was like torture talking about it. Cause it's like, it's never going to happen. How are we going to make this work? Blah, 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 blah. And we would just do that year after year after year. And it is, it's like torture when you want something that bad. Um, and you can't, you feel like you can't have it. Uh, it's, it really pisses you off. You know, you're, you're like, it just, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, we got to stop thinking about this or either, or make it happen. And, uh, my wife and I looked at each other. Oh, it would have been last spring. And we were getting ready to go out. We just got back from a New Mexico trip or Utah. One of the two, you know, it was Utah. We took a spring break trip out there in Utah and the kids are getting old enough. Now we're, we can start taking them on our backpack hunts with us and, uh, or our backpack trips with us. And they, we love backpacking and, uh, you know, it's just, that's, that's what we live for. It's, it's, it's what we want to do. And, um, so we just come back from that trip and, uh, we had kind of gotten a lead on some, some backpack llamas. We were starting to look into like pack stock to take out West with us and, we were looking at mule or um, mules and horses and just the upkeep on them and the, the cost of the feed and, and all that stuff was just, it was more than we wanted to um, put into for, you know, two trips a year that we were going to take from Michigan. And we got invited out to a, a llama rendezvous um, with wilderness Ridge trail llamas, Bo and Kirsten Beatty. They're awesome people. If you guys don't know who, who they are, go check their website out. He's, he runs a big, uh, pack llama outfit. So we went out there and, uh, it was just kind of like the icing on the cake for us. It was like, what are we doing? This is, you know, it's, why aren't we out here? We, we could have llamas. We could, we could be hiking and backpacking all year long instead of traveling and spending thousands of dollars to do it two, three times a year. And so we made a decision that spring. We're like, we're going to go buy llamas. We're going to buy backpacking llamas. And we're going to make this work. And, uh, so we had set some goals, um, to just get the house sold by that fall. And, uh, we just did it. 
it was like it was like an uphill battle the whole way we had to we had to scratch and claw the whole time and it was hard it's hard to make a big move like that especially when you have kids family close friends we've got all that stuff like there's no reason that we needed to move other than our dream to be by the mountains that was that was it and uh <clears throat> yeah it it just <laughs> you know it was it was a lot of work a lot of work and it's still been a lot of work a lot of big changes um you know i started uh my own electrical company out here getting that off the ground and uh we've started to uh schedule renting some llamas out for the season and we're trying to grow our llama herd um we're hoping to kind of be full swing by next summer um, to be able to do actual guided trips with the llamas and that kind of stuff. So at this point right now, all we can offer is um, llama rentals. So you can come to the house, rent the llamas, rent the gear, take them hunting, fishing, camping, whatever you want to do, rent the trailer. We can give you guys everything you need. We just can't assist you with hunting and fishing information or uh, take you ourselves. But by next year, we're hoping to, we're, we're not going to do guided hunting and fishing trips, but we should be able to do um, guided hikes and camping trips and or set drop camps up for camping trips. Um, and we should, hopefully we're, we're a little more full swing into it, but we're, we're committed. We're going to, we're going to grow that as best we can. Um, we're going to use the llama business to, to kind of pay for our, our hobby of our lifestyle of uh, our expensive lifestyle of, you know, chasing critters around. So we'll use that to, fund our our fun a little bit here so it's been it's been a process you know and i got kids that are they're just a plus they're strong they roll with the punches and that stuff starts um when they're young like we we would just they our kids were never like um yeah we'll be over after a kid's nap time or uh you know there was none of that it was always roll with the punches. Our family's always been very fast paced. We got a lot going on and our kids learned quickly, um, to just hang in there, you know, and, and there was going to be a lot of adventure. There was going to be a lot of work and there was always going to be a lot of, uh, lack of sleep sometimes, but you know, our kids just, they, they learned how to deal with it. And, and I think that's a trait that has served them well in this move for sure. Cause they're not super personable people. My wife and I aren't like uh, extroverts. I guess you you'd say we're not like go out meet people. Do you know we're we're pretty we're actually pretty like loyal to our tight knit friends. We we when we meet people that we like, we you know they <clears throat> we'll chat chat them up. But it's not uh we're not the type of people that like get out there super personable. And our kids have got that trait too. So them going into a new school middle of the school year mind you or beginning of the school year so they they started like they had a couple months under their belt in michigan and my boy was not happy about it he did not want to go um but we had the conversation about how nobody told him life is supposed to be easy and that's how you end up being weak and sometimes things are going to be hard you got to get through it this is only going to expand your you know, it's only going to expand your knowledge, your, your expertise. It's only going to expand the way you survive, the way you get through things. And, uh, and he is, he's, he's a rock star. He's, it was hard for him at first. Cause he's, he's in eighth grade. That's tough age 
to shift schools, middle of school season like that. And luckily he's just kind of like a little, he's kind of just like a little alpha dog. He just doesn't, he doesn't give a crap what people think. And a little, he's a little brutal sometimes probably gets that from me, but <laughs> he just, uh, yeah. So how are they doing now? I mean, they're doing good. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, and we promised them we'd we'd take trips back to Michigan from time to time to to see friends and and I also promised my boy more video game time because you know online gaming now is how those kids keep and you right. know, they might only see each other during the school day and never hang out other than while they're playing Call of Duty or something. So we told him he could have a little more time on that, and that has kept him in touch with a lot of friends, and I'm completely fine with that. Um, he's a, he's a good boy. He, he's starting to bulk up actually. He's, he's 14 years old and he's over six foot tall and <laughs> he's built like a string bean, but he's actually starting to bulk up a little. So he's got like all the weights. That's the other thing. Our house is so small. It's so much smaller. And you don't realize what that's going to do to your kids when they feel like they're, when you try to take all your stuff out of like 4,000 square feet and jam it into 1400 square feet with no storage. <laughs> yeah. Your kids, your kids are like, I'm suffocating. You know, it's like, everybody feels like they're suffocating. Yeah. My boy's got, he's got all the weights and the sandbags and everything in his backpack. He's got it loaded with sandbags and he's got it all piled up in the corner of his bedroom, scratching the wall and everything. And he, I can hear him in there clanking weights around. And I'm like, I, oh, whatever I'll repaint the wall. I don't give a crap. <laughs> Yeah, J- so. the house John lives in right now is as big as this room. Yeah. <laughs> Him well, and his wife well, and two dogs. <laughs> well, yeah, we went from uh, our uh, just over three thousand, you know, full basement and all that, and to a mm-hmm. one bedroom apartment. Luckily, it's just me, the wife, and two dogs. But two uh, eighty-pound labs, holy shit! And then our yeah. our yellow lab, he had surgery. What last this right before Christmas? He had knee surgery. So then, holy shit, dealing with that. And we had to put a kennel, like, in our living room, kitchen, like, in the little tiny apartment. So now we had this big-ass kennel because he had to be kenneled for freaking eight weeks. Yeah. You guys are building a house, though? Yeah, we're building a new house. So. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole thing about it is you just you, – if you want – if you have a dream and you want to do it, you just got to make it work. I mean, we're not rich people by any means we're working class people and it took way more money to move out here than we thought it would. It just, it just nickels and dimes you just all the stuff, you know, register and plates, you know, when you got a fifth wheel, uh, a stock trailer and you got two vehicles and you got, I mean, all these things add up and you go to register them in a new state and it's like a couple thousand dollars. You're like, what just happened? You know, yeah. just, all those little things just, you know, I tell, they're like, how'd you do it? And I'm like, I've, I've talked to a couple guys since then. They're like, yeah, man, I've wanted to, I'm like, well, you can do it, but save now, start saving now. Cause okay. that's the biggest hurdle is, is the money. Um, but you can do it. You just gotta, you know, if it takes living in a shoebox, we love our little house. It's a new house. It's, you know, it's on top of a hill. We're right at the base of the mountains. We had a hundred plus head of elk try to knock our fence down a couple of weeks ago. I'm fine with the shoe box. Like I'm okay with the move, you know, and once, once the weather breaks here and we can get out and put some miles on the llamas and the kids and, 
we can we've got so many high mountain lakes around us that are great trout fishing and we're just we're gonna camp our tails off it's gonna be it's gonna be fun and our kids both absolutely love that stuff so so the, the whole time you're telling that whole thing about your son and you're saying like how you got him to like understand like you guys were moving and i was thinking about like the riser on my bow says relax and the riser or the limbs on tom's bow probably says just exactly what you said to your kid like it's not supposed to be easy nobody ever told you like it's gonna suck things are gonna be hard like that's engraved on your long bow right (laughs) i don't i don't know whoever told you it's supposed to be easy lying to you (laughs) because life's not easy man that's not Need to, yeah. I need to have my son get that tattooed on his arm, little bastard. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, uh, uh, I guess it's almost like too too early to say, right? I mean, you're obviously out there. You're super positive. Everything's like, you know, what you expected, or you know maybe a little bit more expensive or, or, or whatever, but you didn't, and you picked like the terrible time to like move like in October. So like you like went from like, Oh, oh okay. Like it, our weather here in Michigan's good. Then to like super, then to cold, then to super cold, yeah. then to even colder. And then yeah, like, oh, it's negative three. It's not even brisk. You know, it's, it was, it was okay. Day. It was like October. Cause yeah, that's, listen. I flew out there to, to Bozeman to on the second trip. I went out and moved my buddy Eddie back. I think when you were just getting ready to move the first mm-hmm. and then Eddie and I flew back because we had le- we had to leave one of his uh suburbans out there. And it was October and I remember getting out there and I was like, holy shit, we got there, there's snow and everything was froze. And then we hit a blizzard through North Dakota and it took us like Six hours to get through North Dakota. We're driving in in like a 1986 Suburban, and you know, power steering was shit. No cruise control, and fucking zero visibility. I'm like, holy shit, this place sucks. <laughs> but yeah, you know, yeah, they it's it, and of course we picked a year that they got hit pretty early. And I mean, the whole West, it, that's got, all the articles and they got the news sock. right now. You see about, I mean. They're, yeah, mo- a lot of the larger pockets out west here, we got we're getting hammered pretty hard. Um, yeah, <laughs> we haven't seen the ground since you know fully seen the ground since the first week of November. So, well, that's where I was but, going with that. It's like where is it? Is it everything that it's cracked up to be? And I know, like I've been, you know, we've been in touch. Like you're you're out there scouting for elk, looking at moose tracks. You got wolves in your front yard and all this stuff. But like, at what point was it, or or will it be like, oh, this is what we came for? Yeah. Oh, this summer I think we'll hit that. But it, it's already so the cold is <laughs> it's a hurdle to get over. It's uh my wife doesn't care for the cold a lot. She's, she's still jokes and continues to say, how did I let you talk me into moving out here <laughs> when she was, you know, the driving factor behind it. But she, you know, and I told the kids and her, it was like the first month we were out here, the first real cold snap we had like first week of November. Um, 
she just kind of looked at me like it's already starting, you know, type thing. like this is too early. And, uh, I looked at her and the kids and they were doing the typical, like, we're going to run into town. We just got tennis shoes and sweatpants on, or they did and hoodies. And then they run to the truck freezing and they're like, Oh, and then my, my, um, my house is, it's all, it's all fence. It's all pasture. Like my llamas can walk right up on my back porch and look at my window if they want. We don't have the, it was one just big, horse pasture before we moved in. Um, so you have to open and close the gate every time you come in the driveway or the llamas get out. Uh, so, you know, it was like the, the first week we moved in, we created a saying that was shoddy got gate. That's, you know, shoddy got gate. <laughs> That's the saying. Whoever's in shock got the gate. And, uh, the first cold snap we got, she's just looking at me like, I gotta get out of this truck, open this gate every damn time. You know, she's kind of like, and I said, all right. And I just put the truck apart and I said, pause, the key to getting through this winter out here is going to be dressing appropriately. <laughs> There's no more just walking out of the house with a hoodie on thinking you're good enough. That ain't going to cut it. You know, it's, it's puffy jackets for everybody, boots, gloves, and hat. Like, it's just what you go outside in. And, you know, when they're all dressed up in that stuff, we're outside doing chores. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're having a good time laughing, having fun. But as soon as they're underdressed, they're the biggest crybabies <laughs> all the time. And I'm like, dress appropriately, you know, like it's easy. Just appropriately call around. For so some it's, bucks it's been a shift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been a shift. It's been a learning experience with that. But even, even though I don't think we've hit like that Holy grail moment, like you're talking about, um, we're going to hit that this summer. I know we are. Cause just some of the places that Sarah and I saw this last September elk hunting, so we kind of got a, a glimpse into it already because we we came out here. That's I mean we bought this we bought this house sight unseen, and listen, nowhere in this whole situation am I claiming to do this wisely. <laughs> Don't follow my directions here. <laughs> but we just it you know it, it was the only place that fit the criteria that we needed. We needed pasture. We needed to be able to throw the llamas in a fence as soon as we got out here. I could have spent the first couple of weeks putting some fence up, temporary fence up for the llamas. That wouldn't have been that big a deal. So that wasn't that huge of a deal. But we needed land to pasture the llamas. We needed a house that wasn't falling in. And we needed to be on, we wanted to be out close to the mountains, out of town, out in the country, but not so far that we get snowed in. And our neighbors, multiple times this last year i've already gotten snowed in like it's a thing that happens out here quite often and uh, they'll call they'll have to call a heavy equipment outfit to come in here with loaders and dozers sometimes to get them to get them out it just it just happens um but we really got we would like we found the place that was like right on that edge where we could flirt with it still be out in the sticks but not be just buried all year long and we got lucky and we knew it and we had to jump on it. The house was on the market for like three days when we put an offer in on it. And we didn't, we didn't know what it looked like on the inside. I trusted an inspector to come. I'm like, take pictures for me. Look at everything. I'll pay you extra. Just give me the honest truth. And he, yep. I'll do you good. And I said, okay, super good guy. Um, our realtor, super good guy. He's an, he's an old uh, guy. He was an elk hunting guide, bear hunting guide right here in this area. So he's got like, he was telling us about everything. He's like, Oh, it's, it's awesome down there. He goes, I don't live down there anymore. I don't guide down there anymore, but I can give you all the spots. I can tell you all the places, you know? So he's, he's been super helpful. He was awesome. He's like, no, you, you get, this is a good place. You guys are good. I'm not just doing the realtor thing, you know? 
So we had to put some faith in some people. Um, he was an elk hunter. He was a guide for a lot of years. So I trusted him. You know, usually those guys aren't pieces of crap. So that helped. And, um, so we had, we had planned actually this, this year, we were going to go into the Bob Marshall cause we had llamas now and we, we and were like, we're going in, we're going way in deep. We don't care where we're going, but we're getting away from everybody. Cause we've just been, you know, sick of getting bombarded <laughs> with, you know, Colorado over the counter hunts. <laughs> you know, I get sick of seeing people all the time. So we're going in deep this year. We got llamas to put around camp. We got ourselves a bear fence. So we were good. Cause it's covered up in grizzlies up there. And so we got all set up to do that. We found this place and like in the last week we had to shift and we're like, well, let's put in the contract that we have one, you know, contingency. We get one final walkthrough to bail out of this thing. So they accepted that offer. It was on the contingency of our one last walkthrough. Um, so we had to wait a couple weeks till elk season. We came out here and we just decided instead of driving three hours North to the Bob, we'll just, you know, we'll just hunt out the hunt out the back door here and just figure this area out. We're going to be living here. We might as well just figure this area out. So that's what we did. And, uh, we got a taste of it. Like it's, it's some pretty cool country. It's awesome. The weather was absolutely beautiful. Uh, we just got lucky the whole time we got into elk, not right away. It took us a, it took us a little longer than usual. Normally I can get us on elk. That's the other thing too, is like, thinking back about it since we started coming out west elk hunting we've never actually hunted in the same place twice which is the dumbest way to hunt elk (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't make any sense (laughs) you like learn an area for two weeks and then never go back to figure it out to to use that information you know let's try even harder yeah damn trap people (laughs) (laughs) it was never that it was just our stupidity of like look look over here you know yeah so, yeah, so we, it took us a couple of days. I didn't do any scouting in this area. I just put it together at the last minute. And, and luckily from us cutting our teeth in places that are so hard to get into elk and having success getting, getting into elk, it just kind of, it really kind of, um, laid a good foundation for us to, to get into elk fairly quickly like out here without spending much time looking at the maps. And, uh, we had our opportunities. We did. Um, but yeah, so we got a taste of that. And then I know that we're going to get a taste of it when this summer, when it warms up and we're out doing some hiking and stuff and bear season, I am, I can't tell you how excited I am to, to, uh, spot and stock bear hunt this spring It's <laughs> even though I'm doing it with a rifle, I can't like, I got my, my, this is how little rifle hunting I've done. All of my guns I own are like. Are, are either shotguns like multi-use shotguns that I can paddle the canoe around with and break ice with if I need to nothing fancy. Um, they're all just beat to live in hell and, or a 30, 30 lever, um, just, you know, random guns that I never really, I just, I, I never really deer hunted with them. I just bought them cause they look cool. I got the AR cause that's fun to shoot. You know, it's just, and then all my carry pistols that I've always had, I don't have like a high powered deer rifle. And the only one I got is my dad's 270 from way back in the day when he used to deer. I mean, this thing's ancient, you know, it's got an old Tasco uh, scope on it. And I am 
stoked. I got that thing out, sighted into 300 yards. Man, I am over the moon stoked about <laughs> getting on a bear. I, I really want to get my boy a bear. We've we're gonna that starts up here pretty quick. We're gonna probably wait a couple weeks so the the weather's not so volatile because it's <laughs> it's been pretty nasty. And uh, we're planning a trip and with the kids, we're going to go back in and camp with the llamas and relax, cook breakfast, do some fishing, do some bear hunting in the afternoon. And that's really what I kind of see bear season for me being kind of like a, a turkey season back in Michigan on steroids for us. It's like you don't take it serious. Just go have fun. Call some birds in, you know, eat, get breakfast, get, you know, whatever. You just have fun with the kids. I can see that being. I can see that being our uh, kind of first dip into it here coming up pretty quick. So since you moved out there, when, when, how long do you have to be living in the state before you can be the resident so you can get your elk license? Yep. It's 180 days from when you move out here the day. So we'll be good by this April. We're actually good right now, but um, I can buy resident tags at this point, but they, they want some proof there. I got to go down to the fishing um, uh, parks headquarters there, and I got to get my residency changed because we're registered as non-residents. So you have to do it in person, or or maybe you can do it over the phone. But I'm just gonna. It's right here in town. I'll go down there. Um, so I'll get my residency changed. I don't even want to tell you what the resident tags cost because it'll piss you guys off. Oh, and I also, know. I don't feel like advertising it to everybody. Right. Right. You know, Eddie <laughs> but, told uh, me about it i'm like what are you yeah we're paying a thousand bucks <laughs> yeah 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 they do a pretty good job at dinging down in residence right. in the state yeah figure for the local. figure they give out they have they set aside ten thousand tags right for uh yeah. non-residents so oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for you for you like where you're at right there what's the grizzly situation they're here yep they're they're here right behind the house um, they're not real thick right here. They kind of, uh, oh, it's not their core area, but, uh, yeah, they are here. I mean, that's pretty much most Western side of Montana. You right. right. Southwest. West. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much the whole Western side you get, you get West of Bozeman and you could, you could bump it. I mean, you get West of Yellowstone. Yellowstone obviously is covered up in them, but they've even got signs up there. Um, up there now in the, uh, the little belts and the big belts, um, they've got signs up for, but I don't think there's any really over there, but you never know. I mean, you just kind of, we, we saw tracks in here, um, just, you know, about 10 miles south of the house where my wife were in here this last fall, we were pretty certain they were grizzly tracks and, uh, our realtor that guided down in there, he goes, Oh yeah, they're in there. They're not super thick, but they're definitely in there. So they just, you know, the, they're over capacity right now. And they're, uh, they're such a big animal. Their range is huge. Oh. So it just for you to just, you know, especially when hunting season comes around, all it takes is for one or two hunters to bump a grizz and he's going to cover country until he gets into another spot where he's not getting his butt handed to him by a bigger one. You know, he could just keep going, going, going until he finds another, you know, until he finds another uh, basin to hole up in. So, you never know. It just, you know, you can bump into him anywhere out here. But 
not a big deal. You just kind of keep, that's the nice thing about the llamas. That's actually, that's actually one of the reasons. So I was talking to Bo and he's like, I, we need to get your females bred. And I'm like, yeah, I want to breed scout. And he's like, well, let's breed all three of them. And I'm like, well, you're going to, you're going to pimp me for bear season. I'm only going to have my, my one male and I can't get all my, you know, I can't get the whole family's camp in there with my, with my one male, not the way we want to camp, you know? I said, you're, you're pimping me, you know? And he's like, well, so he, he's, he's going to, he actually uh, dropped a stud off for me to use during, and he's not trained. So I'm going to work on, so I'm, I'm kind of trading and bartering them and I'm, I'm doing some electrical work for, for him. Um, so he, he's helping me out quite a bit by giving me a, a stud and letting me work with a stud and do some, uh, desensitize, desensitization training with them. And, uh, that way we'll have two males to go in the spring for bear season. So I'm not just stuck with old Pablo. So. And what does that have to do with the grizzly thing? That's where you started. Your oh yeah. They just, uh, you sleep better when them llamas around your tent at night. They bark. Just at all to it. They make, they, they alert you. Don't they? they? Well, Yes, some will and some won't. Most of them do. Um, like my females don't really, they don't really alarm call. If they are alarm calling, it's, uh, there's something really close that they do not like at all. They're pretty tight lipped, but, um, Pablo, uh, he, he alarm calls at the neighbor's dog at 300 yards away. You know, he <laughs> just, he doesn't like anything. But the thing about them is, is once you get used to them, it's like any, any animal, you know, you, when you, when you're sitting in your living room and your dog picks his head up and looks out the window, you recognize that. Yep. Like he may not bark, but you're like, what's he looking at? Something's different, you know? And that's exactly how those llamas are. I can't tell you how many times just this last season, Sarah and I, it was our first season with llamas and we'd be hiking down the trail and a mule deer would be standing off the side of the trail. And you would have never seen that mule deer, but all the llamas just, boom, you know, they see it from so their eyesight is absolutely incredible. And they just, they act different as soon as they see another animal and they turn and they look and they're not super flighty. They don't get, it's not, you don't usually have a bunch of rodeos. They're pretty chill, but, uh, they, they let you know when something's there. And when you got them around camp around your tent at night, um, they're not going to lay down and shut up if something comes into camp. I mean, we had coyotes or a wolf or something come in, um, come through camp close to camp it was a couple hundred yards away across the meadow and they all stood up and rustled around and it wakes you up like that i mean it's a 400 pound animal standing up in a hurry you know 15 yards from your tent so it's just a it's a it's definitely a bonus to have a couple big animals laying around your tent because you know darn well if a grizz comes fumbling into your camp at night it's going to be a rodeo out there and it's you know they're right. going to distract them it's going to be it's going to be a mess and you're going to hear it all and have time to get out and react to it yeah it won't be like the so, grizzly bear burrito <laughs> oh <laughs> too late it's it's a comfort factor for sure when uh sarah and i were when we hunted wyoming we were in grizzly country that one year and it changes things when you when you're sleeping in grizzly country and you don't have any protection around your tent it, it definitely uh yeah that so like you don't sleep as heavy as you normally do especially as an easterner and you're not in that country all the time now we've moved out here um you don't you don't get 
you shouldn't get relaxed about it. Like you're always still thinking about it, but it's not as big of a deal Correct. as it used to be for me. Um, but it's, uh, it's always on your mind. So it is kind of nice to have that stuff, <laughs> have those big animals around you. Yeah. That second spot that I hunted, um, the last time I was out there with Eddie, um, the first spot, there was no grizzlies. There was some black bear, but then, uh, there, and no elk. I mean, they all got pushed out of there. So then we switched spots and it was definitely grizzly country. And like you pull into the, the little campground and it was like the big picture of the bear standing up and it's like, welcome to grizzly country and all the shit. And I was like, and I'm sleeping in this little one man tent. This looks like a bear burrito, you know? Right. <laughs> right. My my other buddy Mark, he actually slept in his truck a couple nights, and he's like, "Let's just go over and get one of them cabins down the road." <laughs> like, go ahead, dude, we'll be all right. And Eddie, of course, he you know he's been out there for thirty years, and he's like, "Yeah, we're we're fine." But, yeah, but, this takes one. <laughs> you know. I mean, Tara and I in Wyoming, we we would hike in every day. Um, you know, we we'd come out, and the one the one drainage we were hunting had. Just over the top, there was a ton of grizzly sign in there. So, um, we we decided to just sleep in the trailer as much as we could that night. We got like a little enclosed trailer. We turned into our hunting trailer, and it had a little heater in there. It's it's, and I built like a queen size bed. It's it's about as nice as you can get with an <laughs> enclosed trailer. Um, and every night we slept in that. Man, you sleep like a champ. Even though yeah, I mean it's a hard sided trailer, so you just the heat's on you sleep like a champ but you're still walking we'd still walk three to four miles one way every morning down by the creek in the pitch black with barely a headlamp on and all the thick willows you know and you'd bust a moose out of there <laughs> and you know those things are just as dangerous as a grizzly it oh, stomp yeah. you got a calf with it or something but um yeah, you bust a moose out of there and the hair on the back of your neck comes up and it's total panic mode for like, you know, a half a second until you realize what's going on. And then you realize like, there's, there's no way I would have got my spray out in time. Right. <laughs> like the realization just sets in. You're like, I'm either going to do this or I'm not, you know, right. it's, it's going to happen if it's going to happen. So you got to just quit stressing about it and just, you know, right. just keep your head up and we'll go. But I don't know. Like, the the hard part for me would be like being with your kids and all that out there in the grizzly country. Yeah. You know, I mean, in, in the llamas, that that's a, a a you know another layer of protection or like you're you know you don't want the llamas to get eaten really. But I mean, if you had to choose, I'll like, take that over my kid. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I could buy another llama, <laughs> but probably buy another kid too. But you know. Frowned right. upon. Wouldn't, wouldn't quite be the yeah. same. <laughs> Worked pretty. I put a lot of effort into these ones, right? <laughs> Round at this point. Uh, yeah, it's just a thing, you know. You just you just plan for it best you can. You know, you, you there's things you can do to mitigate it. And if you see a lot of grizzly sign, you don't camp there. You know, you don't open a package of bacon in your tent. You know, you just. <laughs> There's things you just don't do. You just don't do stupid things. And you can really mitigate a lot of that by just, you know, just kind of doing all those little, little things. You, you realize how lazily you camped before when you didn't camp in grizzly country, when you camp in grizzly country, it's like, 
yeah, I can't just go to sleep. I got to go hang the food up. You know, I can't, I can't just not worry about that. I got to go do it. You know, I can't just rinse the dish off outside the tent. I got to go to the creek. You know, it's just, there's things you just got to do. Just got to do them. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta stay diligent with all that. You can't just be like, yeah, get lazy and be like, Oh, that'll be all right. Well, yeah. And you <laughs> just plan for it. it. It changes how you pack too. Cause you just, you know, before your, your bag would be full of snacks here and there and that, and this, and now you just, you know, you keep it all in one spot so you can throw it in the tree quick. You, you know, you just, you just plan for it. So speaking of that, like when you were talking earlier about how she wanted to go out and, you know, go antelope hunting and you're like, no, it's like, it's hot. There's rattlesnakes that I don't know if you heard the story, but like when I went out to Montana there in 2020, I went the first like few days I was going to go antelope hunt. I drove out by myself and the first morning I got out there and I'm like, I found some antelope and I'm like looking at them through the binos and I see this herd and I'm like, well, shit, I got to go all the way down this drainage and I end up like crawling. And I like got down into where like there was a shadow and then I'm crawling down this, this old drainage. And it was like the only spot that was like some green grass and it was like 300 yards I'm crawling. End up, mm-hmm. I had a shot, whatever, freaking sunburnt, finally get back to the truck. And these other guys, I'm just sitting there in a lawn chair next to my truck because it was the only shade, just dying. And this truck pulls up and it ends up being a couple guys from Traverse City, Michigan. <laughs> and uh, they're, and I'm telling them like, yeah, there was a whole herd of them. I had a shot, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, do you mind if we hunt? Like, I'm like, I don't I'm done. Like I'm, my dishes are done. And the guys are getting out and it was a, it was a dude and his dad and his dad's like talking to him. He's like, man, put my gators on. And then the kid asked me, he's like, well, did you see any rattlesnakes? I'm like, no. I'm like, should I have worried about rattlesnakes? Rattlesnakes? (laughs) And he's like, well, yeah, but you don't have to worry about them up here. They're, they're, they hang out down there in like the green grass where it's kind of moist. I'm like, I just crawled 300 yards on my, on my belly through that shit. Like I could have just come up on a rattlesnake right in the face and my phone was dead. Had, I mean, everything was just like unprepared. So hey, that's just a, a little warning for people. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss sometimes, right? <laughs> <laughs> like shit, there's rattlesnakes out here. <laughs> Yeah, that's all right. They're down in the green shit. Oh, that's right where I was. was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So for people who tell you that you're crazy and like, you know, or how can you do this? You're talking to those guys. Like, well, that's one of the things they need, you know, but I like to talk to people, talk to people who do stuff like not people who, you know, everybody wants to do something. Everybody has an idea for a product. Everybody has these dreams of like, Oh, I can do this, but there's always that one thing that's like holding them back. Right. So like for you, when you encounter those people, what, you know, what is your, like, other than just saying, you know, just pull the bulb all the way back and put it on the target, shoot what you're aiming at, you know, like, what is your advice for those people? (laughs) Yeah. It's usually not just one thing holding you back. It's usually a pile of things that are holding you back. It really is. It's all these little, these, you know, the little knife cuts, um, keeping you back, but you have to make, so I've told guys that I, 
coworkers that I've worked with in the past. Um, we've had a lot of conversation about stuff like this and, and they, they're, you know, and I, I was the type of guy that spent a lot of time on the fence for a lot of years, uh, doing things that I didn't want to do. Cause I, you know, providing for my family or whatever, a lot of, you know, it gets to a point where you have to decide to do it or not, because what it will do to you is worse than not doing it. So you have to just make a decision. Am I going to do this or not? If you are, then you just prepare yourself for every step it takes to do it. And it's, it's everything that I've had to do. That's hard. It's always, it's always a step. It's always a step. It's always a step. And it's usually a, it's a relentless amount of them that you have to continually just, you got to stick with it. And every single day you got to work towards the next step. And, uh, you just, that's what you got to do. You got to decide if it's worth it or not, if you're going to do it. And if you are focus on the next step, get that done, focus on the next step, get that done and do all the steps until you're done. That's, that's all you can do. And and quite honestly, that is life. Like that is life in a nutshell. Like you're never like done with it until you're dead. You know, it's always just a series of steps to get to where you want to go. It's not, it's, you're never, you're never done. And that's, that's the thing that I've learned over the years. It's like whatever illusion people have of like, you're going to get to a point where it's easy or this is going to be easier. This is going to be easy. And yeah, you might get to a point when you're 65 years old and you're retired. Now it's easy. But why are you waiting to live your life at the end of it? Like what, you right. know, just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, you know, and I've been that guy. I've been the guy on the fence for years. I've been the guy that's wished and dreamed and not done it. It's, it's, it's hard, but you just got to do it one step at a time. Eventually you will get there. But there are some like, you know, I'm, I'm when listening to your story, I would love to be out West too. But my goal is like to be down, have a place down South, like Florida mm-hmm. fishing. I mean, and it's like, Kind of like the same thing that you're like looking at. We've looked at houses down there. Like the first year we went down there, I went down there with my wife in 2018. We we're looking at houses like, I'm like, man, this is like, we, it's possible. It's doable, but we got a lot of work to do. And now this year we looked at them and like the same house that was like 400,000 there and a million dollars. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> holy shit. But, you know, that's like, we sold our house. We're building a new house. We have, you know, the plan, we have a plan set in place. So, but you gotta, I mean, there's like, I didn't hunt last year, hardly. The only hunting I did was when we were up at the Patreon hunt, you know, and that sucks. I mean, obviously you only get so many hunting seasons, but for the ultimate goal, like God, take that step, like build this house, get this done. And, you know, Hopefully it works out. Um, yeah. can still walk. Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to put things on a hold. I mean, that's why I don't, I'm not real fond of calling hunting a hobby. Like it's, it's a lifestyle. You know, it's not something that you can just, it's not something you give up easily. Like it's a, it's a part of us. It's where it's, a, it's ingrained in us. Um, we make massive decisions weighing against hunting time and hunting things. You know, it's like, so it's a lifestyle and in all these steps that you got to get over 
you know, one of those steps might mean you don't get to hunt for three weeks this year. You only get to, you only, you only get to pick a handful of times, you know, it's, but it's that end goal. It's that plan that you have. And and you guys have that plan and you guys could still have a place in Florida with the current market. That place in Florida might not look like what you wanted it to look five oh, years ago. Exactly. But, you know, it just depends on what you want. If you still want it, you know, number one, who the hell are you trying to impress? If, you know, if you got a shack down there and a small little 14 foot, you know, boat to get you out on the flat so you can go cast for some redfish in the morning. I mean, like whatever, who's exactly. going to tell you that that's not fulfilling. Right. And that's you know, what, I'm like, your shack. I'm like, next five, 10 years. <laughs> I'll have, I'll have a little single wide trailer as long as I don't get blown off. And if it does, I'll build a new one. <laughs> like, yeah. But I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of guys get hung up in that, um, you know, their dream doesn't, the possibility doesn't look like their dream. Exactly. And yeah, you just got to be realistic. You know, you got to quit pretending you're rich and just make it happen. (laughs) Well, well, and I think there's, there's a bit of that, like kind of like what you said with the, you know, when you get out there and then everything kind of like stacks up like whether it's revelation of like oh it costs money to register all your vehicles and do all this stuff and i think back like when we are like oh yeah like we're just getting drunk in the garage saying like all right we're gonna do a podcast and john's like yeah okay i'm in and i'm like all right i got this plan it's it's in motion and then it was like all of a sudden like holy shit like we're really doing this and he's like i I remember like the the first few john's like oh i hate the way my voice sounds like i hate this is so terrible like everything like oh my god this is awful and it's just i'm still awful but uh, <laughs> but you but, just you just have to do it <laughs> <laughs> but you just have to do it and, and if it's what you really want to do and it's what you really like enjoy you're gonna make it work yeah. uh, but i think that 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 plan and i think that's where a lot of people who do you know stuff like this um, don't have a plan and then it's okay when it doesn't work out. Uh, but you know, uprooting your family, traveling, you know, thousands of miles across the country. Like you can't really, I mean, you could do that on a whim, but like the, the cost and like, um, the like collateral damage, if you had to be like, all right, well, we're going back now. Um, you know, whatever you would go back to wouldn't be the same. So it's, it's a, it's a much different, right thing but who's to say that collateral damage didn't make you grow didn't make you stronger i think uh, i think say that comfy life you had before was better for you than the struggle you just went through so i mean (laughs) that's spoken like a trad guy (laughs) well it's like (laughs) like you said originally life isn't easy no, no one said it was easy yeah. So if you want, yeah. if you want something, you got to work. I mean, we're all, I mean, we're all the same. I mean, we got, yeah, we live, we die. And if, if you want something, you got to work hard for it and get it. I mean, there, yeah, there's some people that are born with the freaking silver spoon in their mouth, whatever, but you know. Right. Yeah. But I mean, the things that you come up against that are hard is what carves you, you know, that's what shapes you. So I don't, I, I guess I'm just. I am more interested in growing, learning, failing, recovering. I'm more interested in that for the rest of my life than I am 
sitting here getting fat, you know, on the couch after I'm retired. I, I just, I don't know. So there's something to be said for struggling sometimes. Sometimes you just got to struggle. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of like elk hunting out west. I mean, <laughs> like yeah. what, the, like our first, like when, I mean, all of our listeners have, I'm sure have heard this story many times, but like the first couple of days, Adam and I are walking down the old logging road out there and we're looking down in that shit like, oh, the hell would go down there? And then we look up the mountain and it's just, looks like, it looks like the moon, like it just burnt, mm-hmm. scorched earth, just nasty shit, dead trees. And like, who the hell would ever walk up there? And like two days later, that was us. We're it's crawling you. down yeah. that shit, crawling. I mean, yeah. there's one point where we're literally crawling up the hill through the shit tangles. And then it was like, and and in, in the moment it was like, man, this really sucks. Like, but then when, on the way back, like, Man, when are we going back? You know, it's well, like <laughs> well, in in like to your point, it was a hundred percent. Like when I got back home, it nothing seemed like impossible anymore. Like you know, d- doing over a hundred miles in you know ten days or whatever. Um, you get back home and you're looking at the map and you're like, I mean, I remember very vividly being in the spot on the place where we hunt that I had never been before. And I'm looking at it and the line on the, the screen is this long. Well, that long when I was in Idaho was like two miles. Nothing. No, yeah. it was two miles. And I was like, and I was like, how in the world am I two miles from the truck? And like, how do I get there? And then like, I actually did the line distance, you know, and it was like 700 yards. And I was like, Oh my God, like that's nothing, you know, it's <laughs> right. like, just go there, you know, like we get up in the morning out there and walk five miles just to get to the starting point of where we'd hunt. Like, yeah. You know, and like, then you do another five, eight miles during the day and then, yeah, then five <laughs> miles back in the dark. Yeah. You know, and, and, but then, then we get here and we're like, I think we were talking like at, right before one of the podcasts. And it was like, dude, whitetail hunting in Michigan, like, fuck there's no place we can't go here like this, yeah. this is fucking baby that's shit yeah. yeah yeah and that's when you get into the habit of going a little too far and a little too aggressive <laughs> blowing everything out and you're like okay yeah <laughs> i can dial back into whitetail world <laughs> right yeah. carrying 60 pounds through the swamp you know there, there's so many there's so many times though like where you where you had said down there where you're like what did I get myself into when you're talking about those alders and all that stuff? And I mean, I, I feel like that over when you were shooting at that, that elk, you're like, this is a bad idea. Like it's usually when I'm like, when my nuts, nuts like touch the water and I'm like, you know, miles from where I'm supposed to be. I'm like, this is a bad idea. Like I dropped my daughter off at a girl scout thing the other day and I was just going to go do some quick shed hunting and scouting. And I ended up, in water, like up to my waist. And I was like, and I still had to go pick her up from these people's houses. And I was like, I'm going to show up like a freaking buffoon, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the hell do you do? Like, there's no, I have, there's no turning around. Like I'm already this wet. Like I might as well see what's over there. Um, but it's just, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. We've cares. With any luck, with any luck, when you show up to, when you show up to their house like that, they, they usually leave you alone. Don't chat you up. So yeah. it's, it's like, and when yeah, like, this guy's got to go. <laughs> like, like, okay, see you later. Kid, bye. 
don't know what that guy's been into. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so you've got a lot of other things uh, coming up on the horizon as we talk about, like, you know, uh, changes, new ventures, and, and, and stepping out. Like, what, what are... Uh, what uh, things are on the horizon for you here coming up other than the, the llama trips and the, and the business stuff? Yeah. So, well, spring bear season's right around the corner. Super excited about that. Um, but we are, we just bought another female. Um, she's pregnant. She should be giving birth any day. So we're going to have a, we're going to have a Kriya in a, co- a couple months. Um, we'll go pick her up and, we're going to have a Korea running around the place for the first time. So that's going to be really cool. We're kind of excited about that. The kids are hopefully that puts a pause on all the other animals they're buying for <laughs> maybe the Korea will fix that. Cause my daughter now she's raising rabbits, she's breeding rabbits and she's, she's going to do it for either meat rabbits or uh, she's going to sell them. Um, you know, my wife's got a million and a half chickens already. And, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's getting out of control, but anyways, so yeah, we're going to have a career running around. We're excited about that. And then she's going to be bred again. So she will give birth again next spring. And then, uh, all three of our girls are down being bred currently right now. So, or will be here in the next week or two. So we could potentially have four Kriyas running around next spring. So we're stoked about that. We got a lot of fence to build because the way we got it now, it's just kind of like 20 acres of open pasture. And they just, I got to use my black lab to help wrangle them and herd them into the catch pen. Excuse me, the catch pen to get them caught every time we got to use them. I've got a bit of, bit more of a better system now is where I can catch them. I just go in there and when they're all in the barn now sleeping because it's cold out. They go in the barn. Now I got it set up where I can just sneak out there real quick and close them in before they know what's going on. They kind of look at me like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you got but so, yeah, we got that going on. Um, and uh, I'm starting my, you know, I started up my own electrical contracting business here. So I'm excited about that. That's starting to get pretty busy. So I'm excited about that. I'm starting a podcast. Just started that today. So the Silver Bow podcast, excited about that. That'll be kind of in conjunction with um, the llama business and uh, what just what our family's doing. So it's not going to be like full on llama stuff all the time, and it's not going to be full on uh, just hunting stuff all the time. It'll, it's just going to revolve around um, our family getting outdoors, our you know hiking plans, and and uh, we'll talk hunting stuff. I'll you know like I am with you guys right now and we'll talk llama stuff with some people and my wife and I'll probably do some quick updates on there. Um, and then we started a YouTube channel. So, um, we'll probably start posting some videos on there too. So we got a lot of stuff going on. We're excited. We're growing. It's uh Taylor house is always busy. That's how we like it. So <laughs> where can people follow along with you if they want to check out this, uh, this stuff? So, this um silver bow llamas on instagram is our llama page it's silver underscore la- silver underscore bow underscore llamas on instagram um i'll probably start posting podcast stuff on there um and then our youtube channel is at the silver bow experience um i don't know if i'm going to keep that name like that yet but 
like I say, we're it, this is all just coming out here the last week and we have zero clue what we're doing. So it's a bit of a mess right now, but if you go to silver bow llamas on Instagram, that's kind of where you can see um, the majority of the stuff. So sweet. Yep. And then the silver bow, the silver bow podcast that's on Spotify and Google and stitcher right now. I'm having a hard time getting my Apple ID to confirm. So it hasn't uploaded to iTunes yet, but yeah, it takes so. uh, like four or five days. So does it really? Yeah. Oh, for it to upload. For you to get like okayed by Apple, like Apple oh, has to like that might be what's going on. vet you, yeah, yeah. So yeah. cool. Yeah. You you got one job, man. No, I know. I was getting, <laughs> you know. All right. So the one question I always ask: What bow are? What's your bow setup, and what what bow are you shooting right now? Besides, I mean, you can do both, like your long bow or your re, your trad bow or, and your uh, compound. Yep. Same as it was last time. <laughs> Nothing's changed. I did buy a new longbow from uh, Kalamazoo Bow Works, uh, David Darling in Michigan. He makes a, a great longbow. Um, I have not had time with the move to switch everything over. So, and I haven't put many arrows to it at all. Good shooting bow, really good shooting bow, but I'm probably going to stick this season unless I get a hair up my butt and get some time on my hands. I'll probably just stick with my um, my Black Widow longbow. It's a PS PSL. I think it's the model PSLX. It's one of their exotic ones um, with tiger myrtle wood. Absolutely beautiful bow. It's got a little bit more of a center cut shot uh, shelf to it than my Kalamazoo bow work bow. So that's some of the change I got to get. I got to get my, I got to put a lot more arrows through that Kalamazoo bow work bow before I get used to that uh, change in my, now are those, my center shot. Are those long bows or recurves? Both. Both longbows. Both longbows. Yep. Yep. So I'll be sticking, I'll probably be sticking with the Black Widow longbow this year. That's uh, 54 pounds at my draw length. And I will be shooting, I just changed my arrows up to some Nexus shafts. Um, Yeah, Nexus brands. I think that's what they are. I changed those up about mid-season last year. I really like those. They're a little lighter then the day six I was shooting before, there's still a skinny shaft. I like I like a skinnier shaft. Um, and uh, they're a little lighter, so I don't have to – I can keep my point weight up, and I don't have to worry about my, my gap being so atrocious because with a heavier arrow, once you get out, you know, 30, 40 yards, your, your gap grows so bad. So I lighten it up a little bit so my gap isn't so bad at that 30 35 yard mark and i'm still shooting that really good at 35 yards even though i haven't shot that black widow shoots so good and i've put thousands tens of thousands of arrows through it in the last couple years so i just i've got it nailed down it's still shooting really good for me at 30 35 yards so um i'm i haven't stretched out past that since last season so i don't know how i'm shooting past that but it's still shooting pretty good and then i still got the same hoyt double xl um, I'll probably get that out, tune that back up this year a little bit, um, do a little hunting with that this year. I haven't shot the compound in the last couple of years. And so I'm excited to get that back out, shoot that too. And uh, I'll be shooting the day six, those old day six shafts I have out of that. Now, those, so those when you uh, bear hunt, you said you're going to go with a rifle. Is it only a rifle season out there? No, I mean, you can use archery equipment okay. for sure. Yeah. 
Yep. And they do have like a fall archery only season and some of the units it's, it varies by the unit, I believe, but um, yeah. Yeah. Tell So John's not mar- active on the uh, Marco Polo, but Tom's working on putting together a, a Bowhunter Chronicles West uh, spring bear for next year. And he's like, I don't recommend doing it with the bow. You can do it, but you, you know, can you bring can. it. <laughs> you can bring it <laughs> and tags are cheap. If you want to, you want to burn a tag? I just, the reason I said that is because I am not a bear expert by any means. And, uh, I just want guys to get out there and have fun and have a chance. And I just want it to be realistic. You know, like you can bring your bow, better not ask me for any help. because <laughs> <laughs> This will be my first year spot in stock bear. And I'm taking the rifle. I mean, if I get I'll, to a I'll kill a bear with a rifle. I got my dad's old Seiko seven millimeter mag. That thing is like, attack driver yeah seven millimeters are yeah they're pretty flat shooting guns i got just the 270 old 270 winchester so it'll do the job and i'll I'll have to get within 300 yards of it and well some of these guys out here shooting like 600 plus so well i already kind of feel like i'm on a bow hunt versus their (laughs) rifle (laughs) (laughs) this old michigan deer rifle you know so like john's dad like back in the day was like a lot of things but like he got into like those guys that were like the best in the west and so he took mm-hmm. this gun and rechambered it did all this stuff and i think it's a 243 yeah that was my original uh it was it started out a 308 and then he took the barrel off took it i mean completely rebuilt it built a him and my son built he bought like a laminated stock it was just just a blank and then he milled it all down, and it's freaking. So you know, it's like r- it's red, red and, and blue, blue and, gray. and yellow, and <laughs> it's it's got like I don't know. Thumb he was saying how many times he rubbed it with this oil, and yeah. it was like all glittery and stuff. The the gun weighs like oh thirty pounds. I don't know. It's ridiculous, but well, like you could bring that out there and you could shoot it probably from Tom's house across the canyon. Oh. To- <laughs> yeah, the scope yeah. on that sucker, like. You could zoom into the moon with that sucker. I'm like, what the hell? I'll shoot a thousand yards. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. So like when I was like first dating my wife, you know, I'd go over there and watch hunting videos with Frank and stuff like that. And then, then that's when his dad was getting into the, the best of the West. So then now these guys like, you know, it's got the picture in picture and it's over there 700 yards and they're just dropping stuff, you know? thousand yards 1100 yards they're shooting all this stuff and he's, i'm building a rifle like that and wasn't it in like a magazine or something i remember seeing it in on like a picture or something but but anyways but yeah yeah i got that one too that one's sitting in i mean they haven't been shot now like i don't even know the last time the seven mags been shot i mean i haven't hunted with it since i was 18 so <laughs> but yeah but. my wife made the comment after we spent last season out here and uh it was it was quite the circus moving in right in the middle of season we we missed out on the rest of archery season and then after we got here moved in um we busted our tail because we knew rifle season was starting and we wanted to be able to do that without just being overburdened by unpacking and everything else so we were able to get out rifle hunting a couple times and and my wife looked at me and she goes it, she she could you could just tell like some of the country were hunting and it's just 
you know, you're like, if an elk walks across there, you're, it's in range, you know, where when you're bow hunting, you're not even close yet, you know? And, uh, she goes, we're going to turn into rifle hunters, aren't we? And I'm like, I am not scared to turn into a rifle hunter. What weapon I use? I'm an equal opportunity weapon user. I don't give a crap. <laughs> Whatever puts me in the field. Oh, yep. well, awesome Tom. i really appreciate you coming on here and uh, we'll have to we'll have to do this again and if you ever need anybody on your podcast that uh doesn't know how to kill things with the bow and can't shoot a longbow and doesn't have any llamas you know we, we got some guys <laughs> <laughs> right back at you <laughs> so yeah i appreciate you guys yeah not a problem thank you sir all right thank you